Right. The topic I'm discussing tonight is very controversial. It is not an easy topic to uh, discuss publicly, but at some point we have to discuss it in the Ibn Ezra because it is something that he alludes to a number of times. The appropriate week for this topic was really next week, um, but next week we're going to leave the Ibn Ezra to discuss Tishabov. So I had decided to do it this week, and I had a smach. I had a way in to discuss it uh, in the beginning of Parshas Masay. The topic again for tonight is the Seid Hashnim Asr of the Ibn Ezra, in combination with a very often quoted aphorism that he uses, which is Ela Divri Moshe. So we'll start out with the beginning of the Ibn Ezra, and we'll use this also as a summation of Ibn Ezra and Sefer Bamidbar to go over a lot of the Ibn Ezra's there. We will not have a chance tonight to go through all the Ibn Ezra's in uh, in Shemais, in Bereshis, Vayikra, etc., Devarim, where he mentions it. But at least we'll go through all the Ibn Ezra's in Bamidbar that relate to this topic. And I think hopefully we'll be able to explain some of the some of what was going on in his commentary. So we start out with the beginning, the Ibn Ezra, at the beginning of Pashas Masay, where the Torah is listing various, the Torah is listing the various Masayas that the Jewish people had. So the Pasuk tells us, Ela Masay B'nai Yisrael, says the Ibn Ezra, when did this take place? When did this uh, writing of the travels of the Jewish people take place? When the Jewish people were resting, when they were uh, encamped in Arvis Moyev in the plains of Moyev, and they stayed there for some months, until they built all the cities that we learned about in the end of Bamidbar. And they, and they didn't leave from there, they were hanging around there. They only left it after the death of Aaron. That doesn't actually make sense. It must be a, a typo, because Aaron, of course, died earlier in Har Har at the beginning of the fortieth year, uh, and this is and this is at the end. So this must be Kiachare Mois Moshe, and then he concludes Kasav Moshe wrote all of the all of the travels of the Jewish people, and. This, I think you will find, strikes me. He seems to say that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote it after the Jewish people were encamped in the area of Aris Moev, after they were there for some months. He wrote down the travels after um, uh, they had stayed in a certain place. This was before, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu dies, and they had been residing in, a, in, a, in one area, on the Aris Moev. That's very end of the 40th year. What do you mean Moshe wrote down all the Masamite only at that specific time? So to me, this fits in with something that the Ibn Ezra does throughout his commentary on Chumash. And I'm going to show you some examples of that. So the first place I want to go is in Parsha Shlach. Over there, if you look at the Ibn Ezra in Parsha Shlach, you will see that the Torah there is discussing the spies and what they had done terrible. And we learn that there's going to be two people that are saved from the problems. 
they were milu achari Hashem, and therefore they're not going to get in trouble. They're going to be able to live and go into the land of Eretz Yisrael. But the other ones, right, by Midbar Figrechem, they're going to die in the desert. They're not going to be able to make it in. Says the Ibn Ezra, on the Pasuk there in Ban Midbar Yodalad Pasuk Vav, the Pasuk they were very upset at what had taken place. And they ripped their clothing, they tore Kriya. Says the Ibn Ezra, the Yeshua Benun, Hiskiu Maisha Betrila, Maisha Benu, listed Yeshua first, the God of Malasai, because he was very great. He was greater than Kaleb. Of course, he's in the Malamuk, and like we learned last week, two weeks ago. So, um, so therefore, for the, for the Ibn Ezra, Yeshua is listed first because he's greater. But look at the language. Hiskiru Moshe Betchil. Moshe remembered him first. Moshe wrote him first. Why? Because he was greater. What? That's why Moshe wrote him greater? What does he mean? Look again later on in that very parak. In parak, Yodal and Pasek, Lam and Ches. Over there, the Pasek tells us, They were the only survivors. Who was listed first? Yashua Benun. And then Vikali bin Yifune says the Ibn Azra Vyashua Benun Divre Maisha Kaidem Kalev. The words of Maisha put Yahshua first. Again, what's with this putting Yahshua first? Why is he so insistent that this is his Kiro Maisha? This is Divre Maisha. I think the answer is because you have to look at Pasik Lamid. If you look at Pasik Lamid, the Pasik over there says where Hashem is talking. And Hashem says, right, None of these Jews who have now cried out on the night of the, of, of, as Chazal say, on the night of Tisha B'av, talking about how they can't go into the land of Israel, it's terrible. None of them are going to make it. Who's listed first? Not Yeshua Benun. The Ibn Ezra seems to be suggesting, without saying as much, that the order is reversed when it's Divrei Moshe, as opposed to when it's Divrei Hashem, which would seem to indicate perhaps some sort of an agency, some sort of ability of Moshe to write what he might want to write, which can't be. It's not tenable. So what does the Ibn Ezra mean? I'm going to make the argument very similar to that Barbanel in the beginning of Devarim, the very long of Barbanel is explaining the, how Devarim is different, which is many of you say the same idea. The Ibn Ezra doesn't say it in the way I'm saying it. I'm embellishing to suggest that the Ibn Ezra felt that Moshe Rabbeinu had some element of agency to write what HaKadosh Baruch Hu inspired, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu was giving him some sort of a prophecy whether that prophecy was ahead of time or thereafter and sort of giving a, a yashikoyach a check and saying that this is okay. Either way, Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, didn't get it into the Torah without HaKadosh Baruch Hu's imprimatur. But this way of understanding the writing down of the Torah would be very different than the understandings that are given, certainly in Chazal, that Moshe Rabbeinu brought down the entirety of the Torah, that would not be how it's being played out in the Ibn Ezra. And again, there are other Chazals that give us this idea as well.
So what I'm starting off with is this Ibn Ezra in relation to Parsha Shlach, in relation to what seems to be a distinction between the way of Moshe writing Yeshua first versus the way, as it were, the Pasuk writing, when it's not talking about Moshe's words, when it's putting, when it's putting um, um, Hashem's words, as it were, when it's putting Kali first. This refrain of Divrei Moshe, of Eilat Divrei Moshe, is, as I say, repeated throughout, and we don't have the time to go through all of the examples. I want to go to another example over here, and this is at the end of Parshas Chukas, and when the Jewish people end up in a war with Sichain, Melech Melech so we have the psukim there about the Meishlam, the bards of those days, the ones who used to say the poems, so the Pazik tells us the parables, right, etc., etc. So the Pazik tells us that and the Ibn Vaniram says In other words, it seems to be suggesting that the words until then were the words of the prophet, were the words of the of the bards. And then it's very much as the words of Maishu Rabbeinu. And with this, perhaps it gives us a further insight to understand that when he's saying Divrei Maisha, it doesn't mean particularly Maisha's agency so much as these are Maisha's words as opposed to others. In other words, if we go back now to Parsha Shlach and look there, so in Matemtovayalaretz, Kim that's Hashem talking. So therefore, when he's saying in the other places of Yeshua Benun, that's Divrei Moshe. Maybe that's not Moshe's agency so much as it is Moshe Rabbeinu copying and pasting whatever it was Hashem told them. But these are now not Hashem's words in diction as though Hashem is speaking. These are Moshe's words that he is taking either as dictation according to other, you know, many approaches, or perhaps, as we just mentioned before, some element of agency which Hashem gives his imprimatur either before or after. And he's writing it down. So this, this um, could be another understanding of what Divrei Moshe is. So again, not so much as saying that Moshe Benner has agency, but using it as a way to tell you the difference between who's the one talking. Is it Hashem talking? Is it Moshe talking? Moshe talking doesn't mean that Moshe is actually speaking, but it's to differentiate that it's not Hashem speaking. So if we look, he says over there, the, the Ibn Ezra, as I so said, Maniram, he also says it on Vanashim, on Neufach, he says the same thing. Also, he says, Ayhim Divri Moshe. Again, the same idea of who was the one talking at that point. Is it the people, the bards? Is it the people give these Mishalim? Or is it Moshe Rabbeinu over there? In that case, Moshe Rabbeinu will be speaking. He'll be adding in, as it were, his two cents. If we go, if we go now to um, Bereshis, in, in Bereshis, in Paraglaman Bay's, <laughs> the Pasik tells us that Yaakov Avinu, when he's going in the battle, facing Esau, so he's preparing for the battle. What's going to be? 
he's separating out the animals to give him atana, and he's going to dive in all the things that he did to prepare for battle with Esau. So the Pazik tells us, Va'amartem, Yaakov is telling his servants, he's telling them an instruction, right? You should let him know, right? They should, you should divide out the present, you know, make it the, the big uh, gaps so it looks bigger, and then let him know that your servant Jacob is coming to see you. And then he says, Ki Omar, right? He says, Yaakov Avinu says, Ulai, maybe um, Esau will be happy and, and he will forgive me for what I did. Ulai Says the Ibn Ezra, Ki Omar, Maybe he'll forgive me for the mincha, for the present that I'm giving him. That's Yaakov Omar Belibay. Yaakov said that in his heart. Yaakov Avinu didn't say that. He's not talking to the servants and 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 having you know uh, discussion with them. What's their opinion about his strategy? No, he talked to them. He told them what the instruction is, how they should approach Esau with the present. And then the Torah is giving you a, a narrative interpolation, which is Yaakov Avinu talking to himself. Ki Omar, he said, he didn't actually say, he didn't actually say words to the servants. He said to himself, says the Ibn Ezra, Ki Omar, Yaakov Belivai. These are the words that Yaakov said to himself. And then he says, Ela Divrei Moshe. These are the words of Moshe. What do you mean these are the words of Moshe? This is not agency of Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Moshe Rabbeinu is not making up a novel. He's not writing his own words here. What does it mean, Eldevri Moshe? <laughs> this, to me, makes it clear, as we just said, which is, Eldevri Moshe means, these are the words of Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu wrote it. These are not the words of Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu never said, Ki When the Torah is writing, that's what he said. You should know that that was all in his heart, and these are the words of Moshe. This is a great raya to what we just pointed out, right? To what we just pointed out before, at least in relation to the psukim that we see in 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 um, in the in Parshas uh, at the end. That that when we're saying divrei Moshe, it means lafuke the words of the bards, lafuke the words of the Moshlim. And perhaps that's what it also meant in Parsha Shlach. When it says Divrei Moshe, it means La'afuke from what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is actually saying. Divrei Moshe doesn't mean that Moshe Ben is writing it on his own volition. It means that he's writing it as opposed to words that Hashem was saying, or as we see here, words that Yaakov was saying. That's what we mean, Divrei Moshe. It doesn't mean that Moshe Ben actually spoke them or that it chose to write them. It means that it is the words of Moshe as opposed to another character or another person or another figure or HaKadosh Baruch Hu saying something. Which would then leave us, you know, high and dry, easy peasy. This is not too complicated and certainly not very controversial. However, it wouldn't be the whole story. It wouldn't be the whole story by a long shot. So we get into the topic in the end of Parshas Vayishlach is a very, a very um, difficult pasuk. Many have, have struggled to understand what it means. 
And there are many different opinions as to what it means. These are the lists of the kings who ruled in, in Edom, ruled by Esau, before there was a king in Israel. What do you mean before there was a king in Israel? When are we talking? If we're talking in the times of Moshe Rabbeinu, there's no presumption there will be a king in Israel. Yeah, there's a mitzvah later on. We're going to have a mitzvah. But what do you mean a king? There's not going to be kings for years. There's Yahushua. Then there's all these lists of shayftim. There's hundreds of years of shayftim before there's a king. So what's going on that we're making an assumption that when we say, what kind of king are we talking about? Which king are we talking about? Which king of Israel? So the Ibn Ezra brought down, the Ibn Ezra brought down that there was a commentator, his name was Yitzchaki, and the Yitzchaki writes that it's talking about Melchior Shafat, and this is a later added addition to the Torah. This is what's known in the world of Bible criticism as lower Bible criticism. Upper Bible criticism is effectively denying Torah Misenai. Lower Bible criticism doesn't deny Torah Misenai. It acknowledges that there's Torah Misenai, but it holds that there's additions and subtractions from the text. From, from the text. I don't want to get into that topic now because that will take away from the Ibn Ezra and what I'm wanting to talk about tonight. But suffice it to say that the simple understanding of the Rambam's eighth Iker, when he says that, I mean, he doesn't actually say, as, as I've mentioned before in classes in years past, the Rambam didn't actually write the the Animamans, the 13 Ikarn that he talks about in the Akdaman Parachelik was summarized in Yigdal, was summarized in the Yigimal Ikarim, but the Rambam didn't write it. In the 8th Ikar, where he talks about that Atarah, Matsuyatabiyodenu, he had Torah and Sulam Moshe, the Rambam never meant it in a literal way, and only those who are not sophisticated understand it to be in an absolute literal way. And we can go on and on about the about this topic, but again, I don't want to get off too much on a tangent. You can look at the Markadushan on Lamed about Bikin uh, and Plene and Deficient, which is known as uh, the Mole and the Chaser, as just one example of differences in the various Torahs. You look at the Rambam and Hilfus Sefer Torah after he deals with Tzfilin and Mezuzah, and over there, he talks about all the different Sefer Torah and all the macular texts that he found and why he decided he had to write his own Sefer Torah. This is not an issue. This is the famous Shu of the Chassam Sefer, why we don't make a bracha about writing a Sefer Torah. It's a question why not to write a Sefer Torah, make a bracha at the end. Okay, this is all not for now. There's a lot of tangents on tangents. But the Yitzchaki writes, the Yitzchaki writes that this text that we find, the end of Parsva Yishlach, is somebody added later on. It wasn't on the time of Meishu Rabbein. And the Ibn Ezra writes, anybody who's going to read the Yitzchak is going to laugh at him. He's going to make fun of him. Right? Like what um, Sarah said when she had the baby. 
They're going to make fun of the Yitzchak. What is he talking about? He doesn't know what he's talking about. Says the Ibn Ezra. You could say either it was B'derach Nevoah. Either it was written prophetically, meaning that Meishu Rabbeinu was given some sort of a vision about who the kings would be in Edom at a later date by the time when they were uh, going to be kings by the time of Israel, meaning in the times of the Shaftim, right before they became kings in Israel, Yisrael. that's an option. But that's not the option that the Ibn Ezra prefers. The Ibn Ezra prefers a different option. Says the Ibn Ezra, I think Yisrael is Moshe. It's referring to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is talking about himself as it were in a very oblique way. He is the Melech. Chazal say at a din of a Melech. And that's what it means when it says, It's referring to Moshe Rabbeinu. And there were kings. Remember that the, the Jewish people were in Mitzrayim for many hundreds of years. There were various different kings that existed. And that's what the Torah is listing out over here. But it has nothing to do with the later on kings during the times of the Shaftim after the death of Moshe Rabbeinu. And what we see from this Ibn Ezra was that he was very sensitive to the idea that there were added additions to the text. He was not comfortable with it at all. By the way, as an aside, Rav Moshe Feinstein has a tshuva in the Igris Moshe on this. It's the only time that I'm aware of in the Igris Moshe where Moshe writes that the Ibn Ezra had shined the paskins. He writes that Ibn Ezra already paskins, that such a thing, to say such a thing is called Shemir Tzachakli, and uh, Ibn Ezra writes that anybody who reads the, the Tzachakli is terrible, terrible, Chalila, Chalila, Shadavik, Moshe, Shadiber. He says, Vesifrei, uh, royally sorry if you should burn his books. Ramesha quotes this Ibn Ezra in relation to a sefer that was printed in Israel some 50, 60 years ago now. It was printed a sefer that claimed to be the, the Shal Shudas Torah of Rabbi Huda Achasid. The Rabbi Huda Achasid, the Shal Shudas Torah, was printed by the chief rabbi in Switzerland. And when they were publishing it, the publisher noticed, the editors, they noticed that there was a number of very controversial statements where Huda Chassid seems to be suggesting that there's later editions in the text, not from Moshe Rabbein. Again, this is lower criticism. This is not higher. Everyone is agreeing that the Torah in, in its super majority is all from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, from Moshe Rabbeinu, and all of that without a doubt. But is there something that's an, an addition? And the Ruda Chassid, according to this, according to this manuscript, seems to suggest that those pretty hefty additions. Again, I don't want to get into what now because they're pretty hefty and they're and it's a tangent. But that's what he seems to suggest. So the question was, should this sefer be published? So they went to Rav Shem Zalman and they went to Yasha and they called him Moshe to ask him what they should, you know, what, what should they do about the sefer. And then, despite Ramesh saying that it shouldn't be published and it should be burned, the Sefer was published and it's available. But Ramesh wrote that it shouldn't be published. And he writes that it should be you know, burned effectively because of the Psaq of the Ibn Ezra. Then anybody wants to suggest that there's a later edition of the text, 
is violating Chazak, Zvarashem Baz, anybody who says that there's one even letter, a dot, a tittle in the Torah that's not from Meshach Rabbeinu, put him out. And it's a very long uh, topic, which we really can't go too much into now and explore it further. But Ramesha there goes after the various different Midrashim, the Avisrab Nasan, and other situations where we see, for example, the dots on the letters, where certain mem- you know mentions within Chazal, and the dots on the letters are were later editions of Ezra, and that Ezra wrote them that in case in case they're right, if Meshur Rabbeinu, when he comes back, lost in love, he will say it was good, so he'll take away the, the dots, and if he doesn't like it, he'll remove the words. These kinds of of, of uh, and Chaser and the dots and these kinds of later editions were for a mission in Athema. And anyone who could suggest that way it was wrong. And he wanted to, he was Karatago on all of it, and he was willing to really rewrite not only some of these Midrashim, which he said were all forgeries and Mizuyas, but also some of the Rishayim and Achorim who quoted uh, some of these opinions. And he closed after over there. Um, uh, a relatively famous um, uh, Kabbalistic rabbi um, who uh, Ramesh was obviously not familiar with. Um, so what it comes out is that Ibn Ezra was very not comfortable with suggesting that could be potentially a later edition that was added. In fact, he doesn't even want to say that it was prophetically inspired and talking about the Malachim later on before, before David and, 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 and Shaul. No, he would much rather say the Malach is Meshur Abenu, and it's talking about the kings that existed at that time because there were various different chieftains, various different kings of Edom that existed before, uh, before Meshur Abenu. That's the approach of the Ibn Ezra. So, if we look there, in the end of Paras Vayishlach, so over there, right there, um, at the very end of the Parsha, in Pasig uh, Mem, the Ibn Ezra writes that we have all this list of the whole Esau's family, and, you know, fine, we understand that it's Meshur Abenu is the king and all of that, that's what it's referenced to, and therefore it's either before his time or near his time that the Meshur Abenu was writing it. Says, says, the, um, says the Ibn Ezra, that these places were relatively known, and these are the words of Meshur. That is, here, Divrei Meshur is not as opposed to anybody speaking, because nobody's speaking, and the whole thing is just a narration about the kings of, of, uh, of Edom. But he's saying that these are the words of Moshe, that these were known places by Moshe Rabbeinu. He's the king that's being referred to, and he's aware of it. So we shouldn't be going so excited, like, how could it be? No, you just misunderstood what the Melech is. Like, Vayibishur and Melech, he says. That's a reference to Moshe Rabbeinu. If you look in Parish of Zayzah Bracha, Maybe sure Melch according to Rashi is a reference to Akadosh Baruch but for the Ibn Ezra, it's a reference to Meshur Rabbeinu. All right. So maybe we'll just uh, before we move a little bit further, we'll just put out another one last um, one last point. So the um, 
another another Ibn Ezra in the in, in Bamidbar. Um yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. We'll do one more thing before that. So the Ibn Ezra writes in, in Shemais when um when uh Paro is begging Mesh Rabbeinu, he's like, you know, enough with these makas. So he says, Atiral Hashem, right? By the mak of Bora, he says, Atiral Hashem, Rabbi is Kirasalim Muvarad. So he says, it's interesting. He says, Atiral Hashem, right? The Davin Tashem, Virab, Mies Kerlis Alekim Uvar. And then he uses the word Alekim, Yudke Vavke and Alekim. So the Ibn Ezra is bothered. He says, We never find Hashem Alekim together, except when Mesh is writing it, right? For example, he says, Mipine Hashem Alekim, Yudke Vavke Alekim. And by the way, he says in, in Parshvez Khanan, when it says Hashem Alikim, right? That's not a real Hashem Alikim because that's not a Yudke Vavke. That's, that's Adnus Alikim. And the same is true, the two mentions in Parshvez Lechelcha by Shishi, it will also be the same because those are not Yudke Vavke Alikim. Those are, right? Those are Adnus Alikim. So that's, that's um, not a good uh, connection. But he says, you will not find throughout the Torah Hashem Alikim, except Maisha said it. So when he's saying Atir El Hashem, Davan Ta Hashem, it can't be Paris saying it. The Ibn Ezra's of the thesis, by the way, which is a very interesting thing. We don't have time to really go into develop it now. But the Ibn Ezra has a belief that, and I think it's Pashup Shah that he's right, for sure. It's, it seems very obvious from the text that Paris did not disbelieve in Hashem. Paris believed in God. At the beginning, maybe he didn't know God. At the beginning, he's like, Who's your God? But at the end, when he's going through the markets, he 100% believes in HaKadosh Baruch What he doesn't have is he doesn't have the knowledge of the Yud Kei aspect. He has the knowledge of Eli Kim. So the Ibn Ezra writes that you never find him saying Hashem. He says Eli Kim, says the Ibn Ezra, when it says Atir Hashem, his Hashem and it's using Yud Kei and it's making it out like though Pyro is writing it. I'm sorry, that though Pari is saying it. But then it says, So he says, He says, I acknowledge that he knows about God. He accepts that, for sure. However, he doesn't say, He says, And therefore he thinks that what you're seeing, when it says, what it's really talking about is, Maishu Rabbeinu writing He's not using that reference um, to, to Yud Kevavke. Fine. One last, um, one last bit that connects us to back to what we just said in Parshas Vayishlach, which is in Parshas um, in, in Parshas Chukas, after the death of Aaron. So the Pasik tells us over there, Vayishma Knani Melach Arad Yeshiva Negev, right? And the Vaylochim Yisrael, Vayishman Ushevi. So over there, the, the Ibn Ezra writes, Omrak had who is who is the Kanani? Shehu Sichain. That the Kanani is really a reference to Sichain, and he's called the Kanani because really the Amari, the Kanani, they're all sort of one and the same. <coughs> that's itself a very big topic, not for right now, as to whether or not that's true, because obviously the Torah says, So, you know, you're able to go fight a war against. Again, Sichain didn't have um, in the. They went to go start up with them in 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 Ever Ayarding, 
And if you have to, ask, you clearly didn't have to ask for Shalom, according to the Rishonim, the whole day had to ask for Shalom, how do they deal with that? Right? According to those that don't feel that, not an issue, right? There's a famous Machalikas Rashi, the Rambam. Again, we don't have time to go into all that right now. But says the Ibn Ezra, um, and then he says, There are many who say that Yeshua wrote this parsha. Why is that? Because it says, If you look in Yeshua and Parakid when he's dealing with all the various 31 kings that it mentions, it mentions Arad. And here it's mentioning Arad, so it must be Yeshua wrote it. So the Ibn is very unhappy with that. He says, That's absurd. Obviously, that's entirely wrong uh, because there could have been two places with the same name. We find that many, many times in, 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 in Yeshua, many places, right? There's a there's a Beit El in the north, a Beit El in the south, a Don in the north, a Don in the I mean, there's so many towns that had duplicates, which makes it complicated to know what you're talking about. But but the Ibanezer is really not pleased with it, with it, with the suggestion. And frankly, it seems a little bit of a, uh, you know, not a very intelligent suggestion to say that on the basis of the fact that it says Arad in Yeshua, therefore Arad over here is Yeshua wrote this, then what, then what, what, is, what, what would be adding to the text? What would be adding to the text if Yeshua had the word then that you'd be adding it in here? So I don't understand even what the suggestion comes from, but the Ibn Ezra really doesn't like it at all, and, and, he, and, he, and he throws it away. I think he's throwing it away. We don't have to get to the question of later interpolations in the text. This is just a stupid addition that is not very intelligent. So the Ibn Ezra gets rid of that one also. All right. But as I said, this is not the whole story of the Ibn Ezra. And in the time that we have left, I'm going to show you the other side. So the Ibn Ezra, if we go to Parshas, um, if we go to Parshas Lechlecham, so the Ibn Ezra writes that we have a difficult puzzle to understand in this context. The puzzle tells us, Vayavar Avram Ba'aretz, Ad Mikrem Shkem, Ad Elin Mere, Vaknani Az Ba'aretz. So the Ibn Ezra, to my mind, unnecessarily decides to add in this. He says, The Makem Shkem that Avram came by, and he, you know, he that's the route that you come in from the north, from Choron. That's the route you have to get down into Eretz, into Eretz Canaan. So the Ibn Ezra writes, Moshe Karukein. Moshe is the one who called Shechem um, uh, Shechem. Moshe Karukein, ki Shechem, they obviously didn't have the name Shechem at the time of Avram. To me, when he has died, it just seems like, what do you mean? Why, why not? Who said? Why couldn't it be Shechem? In other words, maybe Shechem was a popular name, and that's why you later on have a town called Shechem, and why you have a person named Shechem and all of that. Who said that it couldn't be in the time of Avram? I don't see a raya from, from, from the Pasuk or from the Ibn Ezra. Why not? So I don't really understand what he means. I'm not sure. However, that's not the only difficulty in the text. The other difficulty in this text is what it means that Canaani az Ba'aretz. And the Canaanites were still in the land. What do you mean? When they were still in the land? When were they not in the land? When were they not in the land? Obviously, they weren't in the land after the Jews um, got rid of them. The sorry truth is that they never really fully got rid of them, but that's that's our part of it this week, right? That the Bible is seeking by Nechem, 
Yeah, but Zoroastrian, that's unfortunately the reality as it was. <laughs> and so they learned from all the terrible deeds and the idol worship, etc. But let's pretend for the moment that the Jews got rid of the Canaanites. But when you're saying that the Canaanites were still there, it sounds like maybe we're writing at a time when the Canaanites are not there. So you're telling, you're letting people know, like, you know, by Shmuel, where it says that um, when Shaul was going to look for, um, you know, for his goats, for his donkeys, right? So Shaul is going to run around looking for his donkeys. And um, and Shmuel is told by Kodesh Baruch Hu that he should go, you know, happen upon Shaul. And Apostle over there says, like, oh, you should know. That, by the way, once upon a time, that a Navi was called a Raya. Why is it telling us that? It's telling us that because Shaul is going to tell the girl, like, where's the Raya? We're looking for the Raya. So you should know what he's talking about. Who's the Raya? The Raya is the Navi. <laughs> and so here we're getting a we're getting a sort of a, a, an addition in the text that's telling us, oh. You should know that at that point in time, that the, the, the Canaanites were in the land. That's one possibility. The Ibn Ezra doesn't say anything about it over here. So just bear that in mind for the moment. And we move on to another Pasuk. And this is, and two Prakam later, in Parak Yudal, Pasuk Yudal. The Pasuk there says that Avram had a fight with the, with the kings, right? He went to go rescue the five kings versus the four kings. <laughs> so he goes to rescue his nephew Light, who got captured by the four kings. And he gets together his army or his you know, Chazal, I want to say, Eliezer. Whatever it may be, the Pashat is he had some sort of an entourage with him that was able to go fight. They snuck up and they chased him. And the Pashat tells us, Right? Right? And they and they and they chased them until Dan. Dan, where is Dan? The Dan is in the north of Israel, right? Remember, these are the four kings versus the five kings. The five kings they lived; they were chieftains. They weren't such big kings. The Ramban points out they were small little kings because they all were in the stone, right? Amari area. They're relatively small kings. Sayar said they're they're nothing kings. The four kings, they're massive kings, right? Amrafa Melch, Shinna Melch, Elam Melch, Siddam Melch, Gaia. These are big time kings. These are much more powerful kings. So when you think four versus five, you should remember one is four massive empires and one is uh, five little, uh, you know, villages. So the four, the four kings uh, that Avram beats, he beats them on their way back home. How do you get back home? The same way Avram came down and he came to Shechem, who's come from Khan, the same way they're going to get back. You can't travel east. You can't travel east. Why? Because you're going to hit a very big desert. The same desert that we have today. The Arabian Peninsula. It doesn't work. You can't travel through. You have to travel through to the, the, what's known as the Fertile Crescent. So you go up to the Syria area, and then you travel down by the Euphrates, the Tigris, the rivers over there that you can feed your army. And even though it's it's in the, uh, you know, the Rebleib Sassiver story, right? About the short but long way, right? I mean, the Rebleib asked, the, he was looking at the way to go, and he asked the child which way to go, and he says, there's a long but short way and a, and a short but long way. <laughs> so he says, I'll take the short one. So he goes on the short way, and he gets to the place, but there's a big uh, river or a fence or wall, whatever the version of the story, 
Then he can't get it. It comes back to the kid. I understand what you meant, short but long. So now I want the long but short way. So that's how you get back. It's much longer and out of the way. But it's the only way you're going to get back without losing your army. So, so the, 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 they were on the way home. In the north of it, what would today be Israel, in an area that was known as Dan, and they chased him there. But who is Dan? He's one of the Shvatim. There's no Dan before Dan. So this is the question that the Mepharshim, some of them are bothered by. What do you mean by Yerdefat Dan? It seems anachronistic. In the times of Meshar Beit, it wasn't called Dan. When was it called Dan? We learned the story. It, this is actually a good example of a parallelism. In Yeshua, you see just the briefest of mention in Parak, uh, in Parak uh, Yod, uh, Yod Tes, in Yeshua, and then again, in Shoftim, you get the long version. But if you look in Yeshua, in Parak Yod Tes, a very short little Pasuk, tells us that there was um, the, the, the Gvul of Dan, Went they went up, they went to a place called Leshem, they fought there, and they destroyed it. They called Dan after their dad. The Elta Elta Zayda Dan. That's what they called Leshem. <coughs> in in um in Shoftim, in Parakut Ches, you get the long and very, very sad story about Micha. You get the very sad story about what happened. But basically, the short of it is that the people of Dan had received the Nachla in this in the sort of the, the southern part of Israel, not, not so far like Yehuda, but like in the southwest type area. Um, today, I think it's called Gush Dan in Israel. Um, and they weren't able to conquer it. They didn't do a great job. So they were looking for an idea what they should do. And somebody said, why don't you go up in the north? There's some bucolic tribes living peaceably and peacefully and go take their lands. And so they did. They sent a, a party and they went up and they had a whole story with the with the Kayan um, who gave them the, on the advice of his idols that they should go. And they were very successful. And they brought him, etc. But they brought the whole the whole crew. And they went and conquered the land. Over there, instead of being called Leshem, it's called Laish. And they call that Dan. Again, as Rashi points out in Yeshua, if you look, in Rashi and Yeshua, in Paragut Tess, Pasuk Mem Zion, Rashi points out, Vayilochamu im Leshem, Le'achar Zman bimei Osniel ben Kenaz. This took place much later on, in the days of Osniel ben Kenaz. So how did it get into Yeshua? Same thing. This is a parallelism. We're not going to be able to go into that, but as Chazal tells Yeshua Kosev Sifrei. So what would you suggest? If Yeshua Kosev Sifrei, and over here we have a situation that did not happen in his lifetime, and happened to shape him later. The answer must be, Either it's a later interpolation, and then query whether or not Yeshua is a problem if it's there's a later interpolation by some other Navi later on, or Yeshua wrote it prophetically. He wrote it with some sort of, uh, you know, prophecy about what would happen later on. Says the Ibn Ezra. And by the way, 
the Radak, the Radak writes that it's done prophetically. That's the simple understanding. And here on the Ibn Ezra, if you're going to look in that Pusik, in Beratius, you're dialed, you're dialed, you're going to get nothing. The Ibn Ezra says zero. He doesn't tell you a thing about what is, um, he doesn't tell you a thing about what he is feeling on this Pusik. He doesn't say anything. He just leaves a blank. So then, what you have to do is you have to go to, and you have to go to, um, back to Bamidbar. And in Bamidbar, in Parak Yud Gimel, Pasek Chav Gimel, the, again, going back to Parsha Shlach, the Ibn Ezra on the Pasek of Ayavoyu Ad Nachal Eshkel, when the Meraglim came to Eretz Kinan, they arrived at a place called Nachal Eshkel, etc. Says the Ibn Ezra, and the Ibn Ezra, as we pointed out throughout this entire year, is laconic in the extreme. Says the Ibn Ezra, Ad Nachal Eshkel, Divrei Moshe. These are the words of Moshe Rabbeinu. Again, as we pointed out, maybe Divrei Moshe just means that these are the words of Moshe as opposed to some other speaker, whether it's Hashem or some other person. Maybe. But look what he says after. He says, Divrei Moshe, Nachal Eshkel is Divrei Moshe. V'yitachen, he says, Li'ayis Kimova, Yerdei Fadan. And here, even though I'm gracious, on Yudal, Yudal, he said nothing. Here he's bringing up a year day if I've done. And so now we can understand what he thought about in Beratius. Says the Ibn Ezra, it's Nachal Eshko, that's Devri Moshe. So it must be like, it's like, it's, it's seemingly like, it makes sense to say, to suggest that it's like by year day if I've done, that it had a different name. To me, in this one line, the Ibn Ezra is telling you a lot. He's saying to you, Tochen, that the year they've had done, and Nachal Eshkel are the same. Now, what does that mean? That means, says the Ibn Ezra, that they had a Shemacher. They had a different name. So he's saying that they had a different name. Their name was not done. <coughs> when the time of Avram Avinu, in the time of Meshur Rabbeinu, was not done. And it was not Nachal Eshko. But notice what the Ibn Ezra says. It's Divrei Moshe. Here, Divrei Moshe is coming as a strengthening <coughs> of his shita that he won't accept later post-Mosaic additions in the text. He's not allowing you to say that somebody else later on wrote that the place that the spies came to was Nachal Eshko after that place was called Nachal Eshko, or that that place was called Dan, but it was written later on. It was called not Dan earlier, but later on it was added. You know what the place where Avon chased them? That was Dan. No, says the Ibn Ezra, you can't suggest that. It's Divrei Moshe. What does it mean it's Divrei Moshe? Divrei Moshe means that Moshe wrote it. If Moshe wrote it, what does that mean? It means that it's not some later edition. It's not some later edition that somebody added once, once the name of Don had 
come into place, or the name of Nachal Eshkol come into place, it's not that at all. It's Divrei Moshe. Well, it's Divrei Moshe, and it's not called Dan, then it's not called Nachal Eshkol, then what is Divrei Moshe really saying? He's saying that it must be done prophetically. And I can prove to you that this is correct. I can prove to you that this is correct because of the fact that the Ibn Ezra, um, the, the Ibn Ezra writes um, that, and we'll get to it in a minute, that the Ibn Ezra writes that sometimes somebody could say something and say it, he could say it in a way that he was, like the Radak said, he had some sort of prophetic inspiration to write it down. We have a few, only a few minutes left, and and now it's uh, the appropriate time to say the problematic part of the Ibn Ezra, which is uh, in next week's Sadr, in the beginning of Pasha's Devar. As I said, that was the appropriate time to use this topic, but because next week we're going to talk about Tisha B'Av, um, I decided to, to do it this week. So in the beginning, very beginning of Devar, Pasik Beis, the Ibn Ezra writes, the following. The Ibn Ezra writes that that um, the Ibn Ezra writes that uh, um, so this is the second Pasuk literally in the Varm. It says If you understand the secret of the twelve If you understand the secret of the twelve then you'll understand the truth and you'll understand also these other What is the secret of the twelve? This secret of the twelve has been discussed and debated for a long time. Many, many people are of the opinion, as I'm about to say, and it certainly seems like this. In the very last parak of Devarim, parak Lamadalad, the last 12 psukim in the Torah. I pointed out before that the Prakim are entirely non-Jewish origin, but they are of a benefit because they help find the place, so therefore we use them, but they're not Jewish. So there's no real, um, there's no holiness whatsoever with them. How the churchman who wrote that was so lucky to have us adopted is, is amazing, but only because they did a good job. Um, many of the Prakim are wrong, they're, they're very often a terrible job, but in general, it was done as a relatively decent job, and that's why it caught on. Says the Ibn Ezra there, Paraglamadal, Pasuk Aleph, that when the Torah writes, Vayal Mesha, when Mesha went up, From this Pasuk on, Yeshua wrote it. Because after Mesha Rabbeinu um, went up, he didn't write anymore. This was written by Yeshua, presumably, um, had the prophecy to know that what was going on. How would he know otherwise what Moshe Rabbeinu was having being done to, uh, told to him upstairs? He wouldn't know at, uh, when Moshe Rabbeinu was up on the mountain. He would have no idea. It was, it was told to him in a prophetic way. 
And that's what it means in the passage. The proof of this is etc. All of that is all And therefore, if the Ibn Ezra is willing to accept that Yeshua wrote things prophetically, so if you can accept that Yeshua was writing that he didn't see anything about, so to Moshe Rabbeinu correct the entire Bereshit that he didn't know anything about, things that happened long before him, or you can write a whole Parsha's Bullock Right, um, um, about uh, what Bilam is saying, and nothing, he's not around at all. These are not things that he saw, but he had prophetic knowledge of it. What's the big deal? So that he had prophetic knowledge of what happened before him, prophetic knowledge of what happened away from him. Why can't he have prophetic knowledge of what happens after him? This would seem to be an easy enough understanding of prophecy in general and of the specifics here. However, what we have acknowledged is that Ibn Ezra puts in that there is additions to the text. So the first thing to point out is why did the Ibn Ezra do this here? At the very end of the last 12 sukkim, he's willing to say Yeshua wrote it. He's not hiding anything. Really? You're not shying away from it now? Why not say that this is some sort of a sight or some sort of a secret? I think the answer to that is simple, which is, then we have a Gemara Bo Basra. We have a Gemara Makis. The Gemara Bo Basra tells us, and the Gemara Makis tell us different on this different the ways the Gemara gets to it. The Gemara in um, in Makis is getting to it because the Pasuk tells us in Yeshua, but if Yeshua said the Var Ma'ila Sefer Torah Kim, Yeshua wrote things in the Sefer Torah Kim. What does it mean? He wrote things in the Sefer Torah Kim. So it's Machlegish Rudin or Chemia. One man holds the Chesp Sukkim, the last Ape Sukkim. And the Charam Ari Miklat, and one says it's the parish of the Ari Miklat that that uh, Yeshua wrote. So the Gemara says, okay, Mishlam Adam Ches Pesukim makes sense. Why say we say for Torah Salikim? Because he wrote it in the in the Sefer Torah itself. But according to Manalma, the parish of Ari Miklat, Moshe didn't write the parish of Ari Miklat. Then that no way. Of course, Moshe wrote the parish of Ari Miklat, and he wrote the parish of Ari Miklat we have in this uh, Sedra. So that's not that doesn't make any sense to suggest. So what does it mean? Mayichtev is Sefer Torah Salikim. What did he write in the Sefer of Torah Selikim? Says the says the um, says the Ibn Ezra that what he wrote in the Sefer of Torah Selikim. I'm sorry. Says the Gemara Marcus. What did he write in the Sefer of Torah Selikim according to the Manda Omar that holds that what it's referring to is the Ar Miklat Parsha. So the Gemara says, "My Sefer Torah Selikim is that you have to add in a word." He wrote in Yeshua the parish of Ari Miklat, which was written in, in ready in the Torah. But you have to add the word in his own sefer in sefer Yeshua. And the Gemara Basra, when it goes through the list of who wrote the different books of Tanakh, so over there the Gemara says whether or not Yeshua wrote the last day Psukim, or um, because how could it be that that uh, Rabbeinu wrote it? When it says, how could he write? He was dead. So, so it has to be Yeshua wrote it. That's one understanding. And the other understanding is that Maisha Rabbeinu was Kasabedema. He wrote it in tears. So I'm saying to you that Ibn Ezra wrote the last 12 sukkim, which is extending what I read in the Torah wrote, and saying that the last 12 sukkim were a later edition of Yeshua. And he was comfortable doing it because already the eight were acknowledged by at least some opinions within the Chazal. That's possible, and I think that's probably likely. But why is it that the Ibn Ezra, throughout the rest of the Chumash, 
is very, very weary of saying anything like that. He's very against it, of course. In, in cases where he doesn't think it makes sense, obviously. In cases where, where, where he thinks it's foolish, that's understand, that's understandable. But when he's talking about the beginning of Devar, he's talking about the Soy Hashnei the secret of the twelve, which is a pretty decent chance, means that these last twelve psukim. And he says there are other psukim that he adds on. Right, he adds on these other psukim as well. Of Akanani that's our puzzle that we had later on. And maybe he doesn't say, it, but maybe also. Uh, um, later on, there in Bereshis, right after the next paragraph, is right? They were Baaretz. So maybe it means that, that too. He doesn't say. So, um, and he says, um, How did it become Harashem? Um, the Ibn Ezra says, If you understand the secret of the 12, you understand the MS, which sounds like he's referencing the secret of the 12 that he mentions later on in the end of Devarim. If that's correct, then why is he referred to as a secret here? So I think the answer is because of the fact that if you look at if you look at the um, if you look at the uh, history uh, Spinoza, for example, um, used the Ibn Ezra as a riot to Bible criticism. He used the Ibn Ezra as a big riot to Bible criticism. And as a result of that, um, the Ibn Ezra became well-known as being the first Bible critic. And possibly or possibly likely, he wanted to avoid that kind of, uh, you know, uh, fame, which for him would have had no interest. That's one possibility. Um, and I think probably the most likely one. But in case there will be questions as to whether or not the site is correct that I'm suggesting about the Ibn Ezra, I think it's 100% for sure. And my proof to that is another Pasuk in, in, uh, in Bereshus. The Pasuk in Bereshus in Paragud Base, Pasuk Vav, the Pasuk tells us that on um, the, the Ibn Ezra writes that what does it mean by Kanani Uzbarets? The Ibn there is a secret here. And he says, um, there, there is a site over here. And what is this site? It could either be like it could either be like Rashi says. Um, what does Rashi say? Rashi says that the the what it means by Kanani it's, it's a reference to. The fact that the Canaanim were in then in the land because they had stolen it from the sons of shame. So Vakanani Azbarat means really this should be belonging to shame. Vakanani Azbarat means that they stole it from them. So that's one, that's one possibility. And then he says, but if not, then there's a secret. And and he he continues and he says, the Hamaskal Yidaim and the person who's wise will be silenced. So this to me. He's referencing, obviously, the fact that it's a later edition that we're telling you that then the Canaanim were, were in the land, meaning that was written after they were in the land. And he's acknowledging that by saying that it should be a secret. And that's the same secret of the Sneh Masar. But he's only willing to talk about it publicly at the end of the Varm because then Chazal acknowledged it. But in other places throughout Chomish, he either is shrieking Chayavikayim when he thinks it's unnecessary <laughs> he thinks it's perhaps necessary. You have to be quiet about it. You can't um, make this too public. And I think that's in part 
to avoid the program and to avoid the the what became then as known as higher Bible criticism um, that used the Ibn Ezra as one of their initial uh, examples of somebody who was blazing the trail, having a good Shabbos. Good. 